I want to share with you, you'll notice the new set on stage. It looks really good. But when I came in this morning, I was told that intermittently they're going to show photos from my past up there. So I just want to apologize now for anything that you may or may not see behind me. Okay? Um, Joan and I have been worshiping with you for almost a year now. We felt welcome to Legacy from day one. We appreciate the love and kindness and shown us, and we appreciate the opportunity you've given us to serve here with you. Um, a little bit about myself. I was born with cerebral palsy. In layman's terms, that's brain damage, the part of my brain that controls my balance and coordination is damaged. About 50% of us that have cerebral palsy are also cognitively impaired. I'll let you decide after the sermon which group you think I belong in. Um, Joan and I have been married for 24 years in November. Uh, for some reason, she keeps keeping me every year, which is great. Uh, we've spent most of our careers in disability ministry and churches, camping, community programs, that sort of thing. I've spent the bulk of my career in and out of the, the disability ministry movement, the pro-life movement, and the disability advocacy movement. We recently founded in May a new ministry. You'll see the logo up on the stage, Luke 14 Exchange. I'd love to spend some time explaining to you the parable. I'll, if you want to read the parable in Luke 14 later, that'd be great. But essentially, what happens is a master invites the whole town to a banquet. They've all RSVP'd, but when it comes time for the banquet, they all make excuses. So the master of the banquet sends his servants out and says, Go to the highways and byways and compel the lame, the blind, the poor to come. What we want to do with Luke 14 Exchange is we wanted to consult with Christian communities, Christian churches, Christian businesses. We want to mentor people with disabilities, and we want to encourage families affected by disability. In doing that, there are three exchanges we'd like those groups to make. The first exchange is to exchange life without God for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, we want them to exchange a life of isolation for life and community. Finally, to exchange a life of low expectation for a life, for an abundant life with purpose. And there's a table at back if you want to, hear, if you want to get more information about the ministry. Um, for now, just know that you can find Luke 14 Exchange on Facebook and also at Luke14.org. That ends the commercial, I promise. Um, I want to share with you five ways people sometimes react to people with disabilities. If you look at Jesus' ministry of people with disabilities, he, he heals a lot of them. And I think what he did when he healed them is he brought in people with disabilities from the outside into the mainstream of the church and the community. He's still doing 
that today. He wants us to do that today. Whether you believe in physical healing or not, he wants to take people that are on the margins and bring them into the community of the church. Five ways the church sometimes reacts, or people react. The first way people sometimes react is rejection. You know, we just kind of ignore them. You know, and maybe if we ignore them, we're uncomfortable. Maybe they'll just maybe go away, so to speak. The second way that people sometimes react is judgment. Okay, now this is going to be audience participation. Fill in the blank for me. Jerry, if you only had a blank, you could get up out of the wheelchair. What's the word that goes in the blank? Got to say it louder. Okay. How about, how about the word faith? Jerry, if you only had enough faith, you could get up out of the wheelchair. Kind of makes faith like green stamps. Anybody remember green stamps? A few, okay, good. You know, you would go to the gas station. They would actually pay you to buy gas. They'd give you these green stamps. You'd lick them, which probably cost a lot of disabilities. Stick them in a the book. And when you got like 100 books, you turn it in for a new towel or whatever. You know, it's kind of like if you just had enough faith, if you could just get a little bit more faith, you could get a new pair of legs or a new pair of eyes or whatever. I think it takes more faith to realize that God is in control despite our circumstances. The second way people sometimes react is over-acceptance. I've seen this one, you know, Jerry, you're always smiling, you're always happy, you're always, you're never down. Talk to my wife later about whether or not that's true. <laughs> Maybe you've already talked to her. Here's the deal. If you think I'm always smiling, I'm always happy, I'm going to try to do that. The problem with that is the more we try to fake somebody that we're happy, the less real they be, we become because none of us can relate to somebody who's always smiling, who's always happy. The fourth way people sometimes react is we just kind of hide them in the back. I've been to a few churches where they have a class for the cognitively challenged and it's in the basement. Not many of those in Florida, in the boiler room, you know, kind of hide them. The fifth way, and I think this is the way that, that legacy is related to us, is acceptance, acceptance, and that's the goal. I want to share with you a couple of passages of Jesus' encounter with people with disabilities. As I mentioned before, spoiler alert, in both cases, he heals the individual. But I want to tease out some other lessons as well. Um, Let me start out with John chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 2 through 8. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Now in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The lame, the blind, the paralyzed. 
one who had been there some 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and had learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool whenever the waters are stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. Now, I told you that I spent most of my career in ministry. I got to tell you, it was not my original plan. My original plan growing up was I wanted to play ball for the Detroit Tigers. I love living in Lakeland for that reason. I wanted to play ball for the Detroit Tigers. Now, some of you might be thinking I still could play ball for the Tigers, but they'll be good again next year, hopefully, right? Okay, anyway, I wanted to be a baseball player. Didn't take very long to realize that wasn't going to work, so I wanted to become a baseball coach. In high school, I coached Little League ball for four years. While I was coaching, I realized that I was going to be the world's best coach, but I liked working with kids. So I went to Bible College in Cincinnati to come off the other end, a youth pastor, found out there weren't a lot of people, a lot of churches wanting to hire somebody in a wheelchair. Um, During my high school years, I got involved in youth group and I started reading the Bible every day, and I started doing, you know, daily devotions, and I got to the book of Philippians, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I got down all the other 12 Bibles in my house, because that had to be misprint, because growing up, like I said, baseball player, yes, talking in front of people, no way. Not happening. In fact, I really didn't like being disabled back then. There's still some days I don't. I would resign if I knew where to send a letter to. But until I find where that is, I'm going to be faithful to God every day as best I can. So, read Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I realized that if that's true... I was going to have to change my vocabulary. My vocabulary growing up, I used the phrase, I can't a lot. You know, I can't do that. I'm too short, too too fat. The one that worked almost all the time is, I can't do that. I'm in a wheelchair. But I began to realize that the same Holy Spirit that lived within Paul lives within me. I can do anything Jesus has created me to do. That's the difference Jesus Christ has made in my life. So I know how Jesus has changed me, and I know that there's an incredible need for ministry for people with disabilities around the world. There are one billion with a B billion people with disabilities in the world. 80% of those live in developing countries. In the United States, there's somewhere between 54 and 58 million, depending on who's who's counting. 
Johnny Erickson Todd, who is an author, disability ministry leader, and disability advocate, says that no other population suffers more marginalization, higher unemployment, higher poverty, and people with disabilities may be the least evangelized people group in the world. So you may wonder, how do I relate to people with disabilities? Let me share with you how. You may not have a disability like I do, cerebral palsy. But here's the truth. The disability minority is the only open-door minority. Any of us can join at any moment. In fact, the older we get, you're probably noticing you're coming closer to qualifying. It happens. Johnny Erickson Tata again defines suffering as having what you do not want and wanting what you do not have. Let me read that again. Suffering is having what you do not want and wanting what you do not have. By that definition of suffering, all of us in this room are either in suffering, coming out of suffering, or about to go into suffering. Here's the good news. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received ourselves from God. Did you catch that? We are comforted so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, God comforts us in our suffering so that we can relate, so that we can comfort other people. We're also suffering. God intends to use our suffering and even our disabilities You know, if you wonder what that is for you, it's probably something you'd like to change about yourself, but you can't. God wants to use that as his platform to speak his grace into your lives and the lives of others. Let's go to another passage. This one from Mark, the second chapter, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room for them, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now some men bringing to him a a paralytic carried before them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening of the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the man on a mat that he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, how does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of the mall. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. So here's the scene. Some friends were talking about Jesus, and the paralytic probably heard of Jesus, heard about the healings, heard about, you know, that he was in town. Four of his friends picked up his mat. Back then, no wheelchairs. And by mat, it was probably an old gar- an old garment that people used as a rag. That's probably close to what he's being carried on. So four of, the, four of these friends take their friend to Jesus. And when they get to the house, no room, no, no way to get in the door. Maybe they went around and checked all the windows. No way to get in. Now, at this point, if I were the person with a disability, I'd be thinking, you know, man, it's too bad this didn't work. Maybe we get, you know, we get reserved tickets next time. We get handicap hard spaces. But they didn't have those back then. So one of the four men had the idea of carrying the, carrying the paralytic up to the roof. Let me tell you, I have been carried up and down hundreds of flights of steps. Stepophobia, whatever it's called, I've got it. It's only the four people that I trust the very most that I would like carrying me to the roof of the building. You know, some of you guys, maybe Andy McGaffigan and some others look big enough. Maybe you could do it, but I don't know. But so, but somehow, their friends talk their friend who's paralytic to let him carry up to the roof. When they got to the roof, they realized there was no way down. So, I don't know, maybe they saw a rope up there, maybe they brought it with them, but they started digging through the roof. Now, if you're the homeowner, and you know where I'm going, if you're the, if you're the homeowner, you got your Bible study together, the local evangelist is there speaking, and all of a sudden, you look up through the sunroof that didn't used to be there. Now, some commentaries say that this is really no big deal. It was probably just a fast roof. I think the people, I think the commentators that say that were renters. <laughs> if you own the house, you're wondering who's going to fix that, right? But before he could say anything, this bag comes down on a rope and Jesus heals the man. So, let me, let me talk, 
let, let me say it this way. There's some lessons that we can learn from this passage. First of all, ministry begins with friendship. At some point, the friends of the person with the disability saw past the disability, saw past the difficulty, saw past the extra work they were going to need to do, and saw the person. I'm on stage today because somebody believed in me at a time when they had no reason to. They saw something more than the wheelchair. Sometimes friendship with this person with disability is going to come at a cost. You might have been part of the people that drove Diana to church or to the store or doctor's appointments. You might be a friend with a disability where, you know, when you get over, go over there, they're probably going to ask you to take the garbage out or change the light bulb. But those sorts of things are what build trust. I'm here partially today because, because the local preacher at my Church of Christ growing up would come down every couple of weeks and play stratomatic baseball and listen to my dreams of, of baseball. The second lesson is not only does ministry begin with friendship, but the gospel must be accessible to all. Actually, the truth is, it already is, because when it comes to the cross, we're all sinners in need of a savior. So we need to be willing to be creative about how we take the eternal truths of the gospel to people with disabilities. You see, Jesus is coming back. Actually, that's the good news. It would be awesome if God would tell us the exact date and time it's going to be so we can arrange our lives to minister to the people that are just like us. But because we don't know exactly when he's going to return, we need to be willing to share the gospel with those he puts in front of us. Some of those people are going to have Down syndrome. Some of those people are going to have muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy. And we have to be willing to reach out. A number of years ago, I was in one of those big box stores in the record department. If you've never heard of the record department, ask your grandparents. But I was there flipping through, and this little guy, maybe three or four years old, comes around the corner, and he sees me. His eyes get really big. I know what he's thinking. He's never seen a guy in a stroller that big before. Right? You know, but before he could say it, his big giant arm is pulling him back and putting the hand over his mouth. And it's funny until you stop to think that the next time you see somebody in a wheelchair, he knows it makes mom feel bad. So if it makes mom and dad feel bad, it must be bad. So the walls of ignorance and fear start to build. Again, we can't afford that because we want to share God's love 
to whomever he puts in our path. The third lesson with this is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ still changes lives. 2,000 years ago and today, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ changes lives. Let me go back to the story about the the disabled man in the pool for a minute. It is becoming clear to me, more clear to me over the years, that the, the group of people that God wants me to focus on is people with disabilities. That's the pool that I want to go to. God is also writing his story in your lives. So let me ask you this. What pool is God calling you to? Is it single moms? Is it divorced people going through recovery? Is it alcoholics? Is it whatever it is? What is your pool? Where do you understand the difference God has made in your life? And where do you see people who need to be reached because the way God reached you? If you don't know, I invite you to consider joining John and I at our pool. There's plenty of room. If you don't know, the church needs lots and lots of volunteers. We'd love to have you serve there. In a minute, we're going to be giving an invitation song. And during that song, if you're realizing that maybe God has a pool for you to go to, the first thing you need to do is join Jesus. Join, become a believer in Jesus. So do that. Maybe you're already a believer but you need to come join Legacy as your body where you're saying this is the place where we're going to worship and serve. Or maybe you don't really know what God's calling you to, but you'd like somebody to pray. So if our worship team will come back, this is where I get nervous. (laughs) Here we go. If our worship team comes up and plays, if you'd like to come forward, there will be people here ready to pray for you.